Today I'll be reading Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. And you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So this is a great way for us to start out the new year. And you know, as we start out the new year, there's always this undeniable sense of like looking forward and optimism. And man, like, you know, if it was rough the last year, man, this year is going to be different. You know, every year I feel like there's something innately human uh, in that where whenever there's like an ending and there's a new beginning, there's always a world of possibilities. Maybe, you know, it's just, you know, the, the way that we are very idealistic or optimistic but whatever the case, you know, every new year, it feels like anything is possible. Like, man, if last year I couldn't read the Bible, this year is going to be the year. Man, if last year I wasn't able to save up money, this year is going to be the year. If last year I wasn't able to work out consistently, <laughs> uh, this year is going to be the year. And I feel like every January, we get a fresh start in these commitments. And, you know, for the more jaded ones of us here, you know, this is my exhortation to, and I put myself in there as well. You know, there's nothing inherently magical about January 1st, you know, and a new, you know, year, but there is something very divine about God's wisdom in allowing there to be cycles and allowing there to be beginnings for us. Because if we feel like we failed in some ways, if we feel like, man, I really didn't step it up this last year. Like, man, I have so many regrets about last year. There's always, it's almost like a gift that we get a new sense of beginning at the beginning of each new year. And, you know, it's not always like new years are always shiny and new. 
you know, it's always also difficult as well. And hopefully, you know, we are wise enough and sober-minded enough where we also understand that it's not always unicorns and rainbows. It's not always like, oh, everything's really great. Sometimes, um, you know, a new year isn't just like fireworks and champagne. Sometimes it's actually acknowledging brokenness and need. What needs to change this year? Sometimes it is taking sober inventory of where I am right now and having the courage to believe that God is going to take me to where I need to be this time next year. Sometimes it takes very intentional, like it almost feels forced at times, intentional thanksgiving, intentional praise, intentional gratitude for you to see the pockets of light, maybe in a very challenging last year, where you're able to take inventory of those big and small victories in the midst of all of the challenge. So because if you've been a believer for more than five minutes, I think you'll know that the walk of a believer is one of great weakness and need, where man, like day after day, you realize, man, I need the grace of God. Man, I need the Holy Spirit in my life. Man, I need His wisdom. Man, I need His patience. I need His love. Like, I don't, you know, I can't do this walk without God. And so, the walk of a believer is one of great weakness and poverty in the Spirit in some ways, but also incredible strength that comes from the Lord as we lean upon Him. The walk of a believer is one of both profound grief at times, a profound mourning and weeping, but also profound joy that cannot be taken away by the world. It is a life of surrender into God's hands and receiving the strength from his hands as well. You know, like how in the Bible, Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. Life to the full. That's what we've been called into each and every year. Each and every time we re-sign up to follow the Lord and walk with the Lord this new year, we're signing up for life to the full. Not just, eh, life, you know? Not just, ah, hopefully I'll make it by. Like, hopefully I'll survive this year kind of life. We are signing up for life to the full. There's that that we hold in one hand. And on the other hand, we hold this tension that, that that life to the full, Jesus describes also as a crucified life. Jesus describes as, as a life where you lay down your life that Christ might live in you. And it's such a complex and sometimes paradoxical, but beautifully and deeply profound kind of life that God has led us to live as Christians. You can't just oversimplify it. You can't just say it's all good or it's all bad. The Christian life, walking with the Lord, there's both, you know, valley seasons and mountaintop seasons. There's seasons of great weakness where, man, like if God doesn't come through for me today, I'm just not going to make it through this day. And there's seasons where you feel this grace just sweep into your life and sweep you off your feet. And you know that you are not living in your own strength. And that is God's grace in your life. And so this is the beauty of walking with the Lord each and every year. Like Pastor JP was saying, you know, it doesn't mean that this, we can't promise that, man, this year is going to be like the year for you and everything's going to go your way and everything that you have praying for, God is going to give it. And there's not going to be anything that you're going to be denied. There's not going to be any hardships. We can't ever promise that. That is not in the Bible, actually. God promises good and bad. God promises blessings and persecution. God promises all these things. And this is the wisdom of the Lord. 
So often, the work of living out a new beginning and stepping into a new beginning is also the work of rebuilding, restarting, rebelieving, resurrendering, re-envisioning. It is the slow and painstaking work of signing back up again. And I know that we as a church, as New Philadelphia Church, we're in a season of rebuilding our community. We went through a very long season, as I always say, and maybe many of you are very sick and tired of hearing this, but we've gone through a long season where we needed healing. And, you know, you couldn't, we, did, we can apologize for it. We can be like, oh, man, it's, you know, we had just had to walk through a long season of healing where we had to trust. Man, God, this must be your timing. We're not going to take any shortcuts. We're not going to push through it and just try to just, you know, let's skip to the next part. Let's skip to the, the better part. We're going to walk through this season faithfully with you, knowing that it was necessary. Um, our, our, our church has gone through that. And now we're in a season of, okay, now we've gone through healing. Maybe we're not completely done, you know, like healing. It's lifelong as well. But like a very focused season of healing for a church community, I feel like we're kind of going around that bend and now we are starting to rebuild. What does it look like for us to build a community again, to become family, to connect heart to heart, to become vulnerable, to express our needs, to find you know God's provision in the church, to dream again, to envision and pray again as a church. It's a season of rebuilding this community. And so today, I'd like to talk about what it looks like to begin again from the ashes. We read, you know, uh, Shelby really beautifully read from, uh, for us from Isaiah 61. That's a very key prophetic passage for our church. For those of you who are new, or maybe this is completely news to you. But Isaiah 61, uh, the, the whole chapter, and especially the first three verses, were, you know, a, a passage in Scripture that we felt very strongly God was calling us to as a community. That God was giving us anointing of the Holy Spirit not to just bless ourselves, not just so that we could enjoy life, but to set the captives free, to bring good news to the poor, to comfort those who are grieving, to exchange you know, the, the, the mourning and the grief and the sorrow for you know, crown of beauty instead of ashes. And this is what we've been called to do as a church. But sometimes in our um, excitement to get to that quote-unquote fun work, Sometimes we oversimplify what it looks like to rebuild. And so that's what we're going to be going into as a church uh, today. Today's message is titled, Rebuilding Ruins. Rebuilding Ruins. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I, I was reading through this passage and, you know, kind of seeing it with a fresh set of eyes, like a fresh lens at the tail end of what I believe it was like our healing season. And the, past, the, the, the verse that really stuck out to me is like, they will rebuild ancient ruins. That which has been destroyed, that which has been stolen, that which has been lost, there is redemptive work to be done. And it's Man, it's like so beautiful how God calls us to do that. Instead of, it doesn't just drop renewal onto our laps. It just doesn't drop something new. He brings us through a season of healing. He strengthens our hands to do the hard labor. And then he calls us, let's rebuild together. Isn't that something really beautiful? 
It could have been so much easier, right? And more immediate for those of us who, you know, uh, love immediate gratification. It could have been so much easier. And yet God in his divine wisdom, he calls us to rebuild together. So today's message is titled Rebuilding Ruins. And we happen to live in a nation that is very well acquainted with rebuilding. Did you know that 30 years ago, just 30 years ago, this area would have been looked very, very different. 40 years ago, this city would have looked very different. 50 years ago, completely different. We happen to live in a very unique nation. South Korea is a nation that was completely, like, leveled, devastated by World War II and the Korean War. And that wasn't that long ago. That was only a few decades ago. My parents were part of that generation. My grandparents lived through those wars. And so it's not like a very far-removed reality. We live in a nation that has walked out rebuilding that has walked out what it looks like to rebuild from the ground up. I just wanted to show you a few pictures um, that these are just from a few decades ago. Um, Do you think you could hit blackout in the... Yeah, so people can see it a bit better. Can you see a bit better? Yeah. So this was, you know, um, just a local person grieving in the midst of like things that were like a city that was leveled by bombs. Can you just continue flipping us through every couple of seconds? Yeah, this was in the middle of, you know, of winter and they were trying to find shelter. Uh, This was, this is a very famous picture of, uh, you know, refugees and orphans that, you know, were left after the war. This is a city completely devastated. This is actually Pyongyang uh, that was completely devastated by the war. This is a soldier that is walking on top of the ruins of a city. This is uh, bombs going off in the distance as well. This is the middle of winter. This is a child, you know, that has probably lost their family. It's unknown. This is an entire city. You know, this is what the landscape was like not too long ago. Another, I I believe this was Tegu. Tegu. This was what Tegu looked like. This was Seoul, what it looked like as well. These are residents that came out even during bombing because they just needed food and they needed to go out into the market to feed their families. Yeah, and so this, this is the last picture. This is what this country, where we're standing and breathing and living right now, this is what this country used to look like not too long ago. I don't even, I can't even begin to tell you, like, I don't understand what that would feel like. To look around you and see nothing but destruction, having lost people that you love, families being torn apart, you know, fathers and sons being lost in war. How do you look at that and then find the strength to rebuild again, to have hope again, to dream again, to believe that the future could be different? I know nothing about that. When I think about my, my grandmother's um, you know, generation, when I think about my parents' generation, what they actually had to live through and see with their very own eyes, see that kind of devastation and dream for a different kind of future, I don't even understand what kind of grit and resilience and trust and courage it would take to live out that kind of life. You know, my dad, his Korean name is called Wei Seng. 
It's a very unusual name. It means born outside of home because they were fleeing because of the Korean War. So he was born as their family was fleeing. And so he was born outside of, you know, where the, their hometown was and where their support group was and where their family was. They were, he was born on the run, basically. That was just one generation ago. You know how, like, those of us who have uh, a Korean parents who have very interesting quirks? Like, for example, you know, if you have an immigrant parent, and um, did your parents, like, save all their plastic bags growing up? Right? Like, you had a drawer where, like, all the plastic bags are there. Or, like, you know, like, they would never throw away any food. And so you'd always have a, a, a fridge that is full of leftovers. And none of them are in real Tupperware. All of them are in like, in like uh, ice cream boxes and like random jars. And, right? That was, that was because it was a generation that was raised after the war. Where there wasn't this thing of like, hey, I'm going to throw away this container. I'm going to buy an actual container that is you know, glass lock or whatever. It was like, this is all I have. This is all I have. And there cannot be any waste. And we're not going to make it if we don't. If, if we don't live in this way. That was the reason why many of our parents have those kind of habits as well. It was a generation that was raised after the war, needing to rebuild an entire country. Rebuilding an entire country in the span of only a few decades. So I don't really think that I understand what kind of courage and audacity it takes to envision a different kind of future. But I can tell you who did the Israelites in the Bible, they knew a thing or two about this process of rebuilding from the ground up. This was a nation that, yes, was called by the Lord. They were favored by the Lord. You know, God really showed up in unusual and unmerited ways to them. But at the same time, they were a nation that was very well acquainted with hardship. It was a nation that was in constant threat. A, a nation that endured years of slavery, years of war, years of wandering in the desert, years of warfare, years of exile away from their land, generations of longing to return to the way things used to be. And the book of Isaiah in itself is a prophecy, not of like bright days ahead only. It prophesies the destruction that is about to befall Israel. The destruction and the conquest at the hands of the Babylonians. Absolute devastation. Like those pictures that you saw, the same thing, but just 2,000, you know, over 2,000 years ago, 2,600 years ago. At this point in the book, you know, it is, man, brace yourselves. God, you know, he's going to use the Babylonians in ways that are very mysterious to you. And you're going to go through a really, really difficult season of exile. You're going to lose your homes. You're going to lose your families. You're not going to be able to call anything your land. You're going to be a people who are going to be wandering and living in a foreign land. But then right along Isaiah 60, right around that time. I'm so glad for Isaiah 60 onwards. Because otherwise the whole book of Isaiah would be like a downer for sure. There isn't, you know, uh, there, it isn't just like doom and gloom. But there's the promise at the tail end of it that's going to carry you through those seasons of exile. You're going to have to hold on to Isaiah 60 onwards during Isaiah 1 through 59. You're going to have to hold on to that. And so at this point in the book, 
we hear, it's almost like the breaking in of the light, the breaking in of God's promise for a people who will be preserved even through those generations of suffering. And through the mouth of Isaiah the prophet, God is showing them what it's going to look like to rebuild an entire nation, a nation that's going to be coming out of war, coming out of exile, coming back to a land that has been devastated for generations. So I'm going to highlight just three things that we see from Isaiah 61 that both the Israelites and we as people who are in the business of rebuilding, in the business of restoration, in the business of redemption, three things that Isaiah 61 calls us to do constantly as believers who are called to rebuild ruins. And the first thing, the first thing, before we can even do anything, the first thing is to receive. Very counterintuitive. The first thing, if you're going to have what it takes for you to do the hard work of rebuilding, the first thing you're going to need to do is to receive from the Lord. So the prophet Isaiah, here he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. He's declaring on behalf of the Lord. He's saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to bring God good news to the poor. The poor meaning y'all. The poor meaning you guys. Maybe you don't see the poverty now. You're going to see it in a few years when you're in Babylonian captivity. He's saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. You are going to need to hear the good news. You're going to be captive in ways that you've never experienced in your life. And you're going to need freedom from it. You're going to be grieving and mourning loss. You're going to be in ashes. And you're going to need to receive from the Lord this crown of beauty that can only come from him. This oil of gladness. This garment of praise from him. And so... Uh, the prophet Isaiah, he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. He's saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, and you're going to need to hear the good news. You're going to have to trust that the Lord is able to do redemptive work in you first, before he can do it through you. In you first, before he can do it through you. We are first and foremost the recipients of God's restoration work. You know what we're called to rebuild? Because he has rebuilt us. You know what we're called to restore? Because he has restored us. That's the reason why we're called to do those things. We are first and foremost the recipients. We are the captives. We are the poor. We're the pressed. We're the grieving. We're the indebted. We're the brokenhearted. It is us. We are the ones who are first in need of comfort the ones who need freedom, the ones who need to be restored and renewed and given a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the ones that need this oil of gladness and these garments of praise instead of despair. We need to be given these things by the Lord. We cannot earn our way towards it. And for sure, we cannot do the work that we've been called to do without first receiving it from the Lord. Because there's a certain kind of like rah-rah Christianity that bypasses this very first important step. This kind of rah-rah Christianity is like, let's go, let's do it. You know, we have what it takes without first receiving the restoration work that we first need worked out in us. The rah-rah Christianity doesn't first start with this pivotal revelation that first God loved us. First, he rescued us. First, he showed mercy to us. He forgave us. He broke our chains. This rara Christianity is like a triumphalist Christianity that doesn't embrace first 
the work of the cross for the sinner. And it leads us into a very maybe well-intentioned yet legalistic way of doing things for the Lord without first receiving his grace in our lives. It is so easy to fall into that. It is so easy to think that we have outgrown our need for God's grace in our lives. So easy to be like, hey, let me help you when, man, I need help first. Like, man, God needs to do some inner transformation work in me first. It leads us to burnout. It leads us to a busy life full of Martha-ness without the merriness that is required to even sustain that labor. So let me ask you today, is there anything that you're brokenhearted over? Is there anything, any area in your life where you, man, 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 I need prayer. Man, I need help. Man, I need, like, company and I need community to, to meet me in this place of need. Is there anything that you're genuinely and deeply grieving over? Is there something that you find yourself sitting in ashes over? The Christian response to these very real-life circumstances isn't just to think positive thoughts and, man, I'm just going to lay aside my emotions and the things that I'm working through and I'm going to go help somebody else. That is not the Christian response. The Christian response isn't to minimize things. The Christian response is to allow God to minister to you, let him speak to you, let him transform you, let him bring the healing and freedom that you need in order for you to do what you've been called to do. Don't try to stuff it or deny it or deal with it later. Bring it to God. Bring it to him, knowing that he already knows what you're working through. It's not like, oh, if I don't say it, he won't see it. No, he knows all of you. He knows exactly what you're brokenhearted over, even right now. He knows exactly what it is that you're contending for in in the prayer place, in in the secret place. He already knows the kind of things that you're working through in your family and in your workplace. He already knows those things. He knows you better than you could ever possibly imagine. And he is more compassionate than you could ever possibly hope for. He is the one who doesn't say to the weary, hey, deal with that because we got work to do. He's the one who says to the weary, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. You need rest? Come to me. You need breakthrough? Come to me. You need clarity? Come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is the God that we believe in. This is not the God that says, hey, there's work to do. You deal with that later on your own time. Let's go. This is not the kind of God that we worship. We worship a God who sees us in our place of need. And he says, come to me. Come and receive. Come and be healed. Come and be, let let me break your chains. Let me give you the good news in your poverty. Let me bring you comfort if you're grieving. Let me exchange those, those ashes for beauty. Let me exchange that that mourning for the oil of gladness. Let me do that for you. This is the kind of God that we worship. And isn't it such a beautiful God that we worship in that way? I would hate it if it was just a God who's like, here's your marching orders, let's go. That would be such a dehumanizing way for us to live our Christian walk. And also very short-lived, because you can't sustain that in life, by the way. But we worship a God who sees our needs and he says, come and receive first. Now, here's a note for you. Sometimes God will do it directly to you and maybe he'll speak to you in prayer time or worship time. Sometimes he'll use his body 
to do that for you. Sometimes he'll use your brother and your sister to bring that oil of gladness instead of mourning. To bring that good news when you just need to hear it. To help you get rid of those chains if you're bound. Sometimes God will use his body to do that. So it's not just, oh, me and God. It's God will also use his body to do that. And we need to be open to that as well. Nobody's going to read our minds. You know that, right? (laughs) People can't read your mind. So unless you ask, like, hey, I'm mourning over this. Could you enter into this place of mourning and, and bring some joy? Like, could you give me some encouragement? This is what I'm dealing with right now. Man, like, I feel like I'm running out of faith to contend for this particular thing. Could you come and pray with me? That's what the body of Christ is for. That's why we need one another. That's why we can't live this life of Christianity just as a lone ranger, self-sufficing, self-dependent kind of thing. That is not the biblical way. That is not the Christian way. The Christian way is life in community, learning to love and trust one another, learning to be family. In family, you have to stick to the good and the bad. You don't just go to Disneyland with your family. You go through losses together. You go through the hard things together as well. That is what it means like, that's what it looks like to walk with family. And so receive, whether it be straight from God or whether it be through this community that God has brought you to, learn to receive from God. And there's no shame in it. All of us need to do that. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't need to receive. I need to receive all the time. If, if, if anything, maybe more. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like I need to receive all the time. And so none of us are ever going to outgrow this. All of us need to first learn how to receive God's restoration, whether it be through him, whether it be through the body of Christ. And now the second thing that we can begin to talk about is rebuild now from that place of having receiving healing receiving freedom receiving the good news receiving the crown of beauty instead of ashes then let god rebuild through you then you put your hand to the plow and get to the rebuilding then you get to not just sit there and receive but you actually get to get up and partner with the work that god has called you to do Because sometimes if we've only been receiving or we've gone through such a, you know, like, like life altering season of mourning or loss or devastation, sometimes we can forget that it's not just about that, but we're actually being given a calling. There's something for us to do, not just for the Lord, but with the Lord as well and we see this all over the bible i love this about the bible it's not just god saying oh you poor thing it's saying you poor thing let me bring healing and now let's go together and now there's work for us to do and now there's adventures to be had now there's healing to do now there's restoration to do let's do it together isn't that such a beautiful picture that's what jesus means when he says his yoke is easy it's not that there's no yoke there is a yoke but it's easy And the reason why it's easy is because he gets to pull it with us. You know that yokes have two little grooves? One for the one leading and taking most of the brunt. And one for the one who is, uh, you know, following. And that's the picture of the Christian life. It's not, hey, there's no yoke. Life is great. It's, there is a yoke, but let's go through this together. We're going to walk step by step together. So we get to rebuild. We get to do this work 
together. That is the miracle of the gospel. It doesn't just save us. It doesn't just redeem us. But it also then empowers us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Now, it's important for me, before we move on, to make a a note about God's timing. It's very divine. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that there's a divine season for everything. There's a season to sow. There's a season to reap. There's a season to plant, plant. There's a season to uproot. There's a time to tear down. There's a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. We're not called to this balance thing where like you're in this like medium state. No, you're, when, when it's season to weep, you weep. With all you got, you weep 100%. When it's season to rejoice, you rejoice. And that's the beauty of God's timing in our lives. There's seasons in our lives. Can you imagine? One of the things that I love about Korea, and sometimes I don't love, but I really love about Korea is that we have four seasons here. It's not just this temperate season all year round, which is okay for, so for, for you guys who are from California or whatnot. Like, you're like a temperate season all year round. Or, you know, I'm, I've been talking to friends who are in Singapore right now. It's like hot all year round, like all year round. I love that here in Korea we have four seasons. And so when it's cold, it's like really cold. When it's hot, it's really hot. And then there's these beautiful seasons in between, right? But it's like you get to do with everything. Like, man, if it's going to be cold, let's do winter right, you know? Let's do summer right. And it's such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to walk through seasons and do it fully. Not in this in-between state. But it is doing it fully. When it's time to weep, we weep. When it's time to mourn, we mourn. When it's time to laugh, we laugh. To celebrate, we celebrate. And that's the beauty of God's timing. And I was, you know, meditating on this passage just a few weeks ago. And I felt like, you know, when God was highlighting, okay, it's a season to rebuild. It's a season for this church. We went through a long season of uprooting, a long season of having to tear down. Look, we had to tear down. A long season of just healing of, of okay, let's, let's like regroup. Let's, let's kind of catch our breath. Let's, let's you know, let's... And now, okay... I think now is the season. Okay, let's start going. Let's start moving. We can do this together. And I feel like that's the kind of season that God is bringing us through as a church. So there's first we receive and then we rebuild. And this is what we were made to do. We were made to rebuild. We were made to partner with the Lord. This life is not this thing of like, okay, I'm just going to get right with the Lord and then he's going to do his thing and I'm going to do his th- my thing. It's It's... It's partnership. We get to walk with the Lord. We get to do things with the Lord. You get to go into your workplace with the Lord. Did you know that? Tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, right? Yeah, Monday morning, you're going to get to walk into your office, work, walk into your workplace with the Lord. Not leave him behind at church and then do your life. You actually get to step into your workplace with the Lord. You get to rebuild, you get to restore, you get to do the work that he's called you to do with his strength. And that's what it means to rebuild. So we're called to receive and rebuild. And lastly, last but not least, we're called to rejoice. We're called to rejoice. This is a commandment, by the way. It's not like, oh, it'd be nice if you had a better attitude about, no. It's a commandment. You're called to rejoice. You're called to take a moment to celebrate what he has done. And this is part of Isaiah 61. He's called you to rejoice. Now, this is something that I feel like God is, 
I kind of shared it at, at our New Year's Eve countdown, but I feel like the word joy is something that God is highlighting for me personally for the next year. And as he's been like highlighting it more and more, I realized like, oh, I'm actually, I've become pretty bad at rejoicing, if that's even possible. If it's a skill, like I, I need more practice. I feel like, you know, maybe it's walking through multiple seasons of like brokenness and like need and like, man, I just be strong for people. And man, I need healing too. And, you know, like man, maybe it's uh, uh, the accumulation of just a long season of just having to, Man, let's just do this. Man, let's get through it. Man, let's do it with the Lord. Where I've forgotten what it looks like to just take a step back and like give thanks. Man, like I've forgotten. It's almost like I'm waiting for some magical day in the future, maybe when I die, you know? When I'm going to be able to see like, wow, this was all worth it. Like, wow, God is good. But I believe that something God is calling me, maybe he's calling you to this as well this upcoming year, to learn to rejoice through the process rejoice and to do it with gusto like like rejoice with the lord because it's one thing to receive and to rebuild and you know to work but you're never going to get to taste the fruit of your labor unless you learn to rejoice you can live an entire life of receiving and rebuilding you can live 80 years that way but miss out on the joy of the lord the joy that is not for some future day and not when you just die and go to heaven. It's for today. There is an ordained joy for you to experience here in this life, even as things are in the works. Even when you are waiting for something. Even when you're pressing in for something. Even when you're contending for something. Even when you're grieving for something. There is a deep joy of the Lord that we're called to experience in this life. Not some future day when things pan out. Not some future day when all your prayers are answered. But today. And this is something that I feel like God almost like rebuking me. He's like, rejoice! <laughs> you know? Not like rejoice, but like, rejoice, woman! <laughs> you know? I've done great things. You gotta learn to rejoice. You gotta learn to celebrate what I've done. You gotta learn to savor those things. You gotta learn to, you know, to attune your eye to see those things that I've been doing in secret. Attune your eyes to see those prayers that I've answered without you even asking. Attune your, your, your eyes to see that I'm a God who's been working all along. Don't wait for some future day to celebrate what I've done. Rejoice today. And so this is what God has called us to do. Rejoice. Because receiving is not enough and working is not enough. We're called to rejoice. You know some things I am rejoicing in this year? The fact that our community was able to weather the pandemic the way that we did. We're about to walk into our third year of this, this mess, right? But the fact that our community has weathered it so well, like really clinging on to God, clinging on to one another, finding ways, even when you're tired, finding ways to connect with one another, finding ways to encourage one another, finding the courage to even ask for help, these are things that are worth celebrating. The fact that we can walk through a season like this together as a church and still, like, through this, not despite it, but through this to learn to be family, that is something worth rejoicing over. I rejoice this year, you know, just seeing how different people have stepped up to serve the house. 
for example, like, you know, the, the elders, you know, the elders that have served, like, in, in the secret place, in the hidden place, hours upon hours to help build our church. People who have served week in and week out in that very room to serve our families and children's ministry. I rejoice over that. The fact that we have people who love our families enough, who love this community enough to be like, hey, parents, they need to be able to receive the word too. Hey, parents, they need to be able to worship God too. Like, hey, we don't want to just babysit these kids. We actually want to raise up a generation that knows what it's like to grow up in a community, to grow up in a family. I want them to know what it means to worship the Lord. I want them to grow up knowing the Bible. I want them, you know, growing up knowing what it looks like to to be prayed over as a child. Like, that's the commitment that people week in and week out make when they're serving in our children's ministry. I love seeing that people, you know, have been, you know, uh, you know, even if they have zero, you know, technical, uh, you know, background that they're, you know, um, volunteering for like, you know, doing sound and slides and video broadcasting. We wouldn't have made it through the pandemic without our video broadcasting team, especially. And that required people signing up and stepping up and saying, you know what? This is a need that the church has that Susie can't fill because she knows nothing about BB. And I'm going to step up and I'm going to serve the house in this way. And they've been serving week in and week out to make sure that people who are unable to meet here, they get the word and they're not disconnected from the community during this time. I've loved seeing that. I've loved people, you know, asking for prayer. And me, a few weeks back, we had the retreat, which was crazy that we had it, by the way. It was in, in, insane that God allowed us, gave us an open door for us to even have a retreat. Aren't you glad we had it? Like, it was incredible. And during that time, hearing people, you know, step up for the first time and share in front of everybody for the first time, even though they hate public speaking, even though they don't know if it's going to bless anybody, they just, you know, they... Take courage and they share. And there was so much blessing that came from that. Watching a community entrust themselves in something very personal and maybe very vulnerable. Entrust themselves to the community in order to bless it and build it up. That was something that I'm rejoicing over. I've loved the way how we pursued the study of the word this past year. You know, Pastor JP was mentioning at our countdown, he was saying, like, can you believe that we as a community in our house churches, we went through the Olivet Discourse, which is something probably many Christians, you know, live an entire life without ever going in depth into. And then the seven churches, uh, seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. We did, you know, an intro to end times in the middle of the, the year in the summer. We had an online conference. All these things are actually pretty crazy that they happen in the midst of a pandemic. And it's like this community has said, okay, we're not going to wait till the end of the pandemic for us to be the church. We're going to be a church. We're going to be the church right now in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of all these circumstances. We're not going to wait till then, but we're going to learn what it looks like to be family now. I've loved seeing that in the community. That's something that I rejoice over. That's something that I'm frankly, you know, very, makes me feel very honored to be a pastor of this kind of community. Because, like, what pastor gets to say that, you know? What pastor gets to say, like, yeah, it's been a rough time, but man, like, our people are crazy. (laughs) Our people, like, you know, still love the Lord. They love Jesus furiously. And they're, they're showing up for one another. They're trying to learn as we go how to be a community in the midst of all this. Like, man, I, I feel like I've won the lottery. You know? Like, I love being a pastor of this kind of community. 
And so these are things that I'm just hoping that I, I, I have, you know, the lens to be able to take a step back and rejoice over and say, thank you, God, for this kind of family. Thank you, God, for that word that somebody gave me last week. Thank you, God, for, man, this moment that I just really needed with you, Lord. Man, thank you, God, for this breakthrough that I didn't even think would happen this year. All these different moments that we're going to miss if we don't take the time to rejoice. Because so often, when we are in the midst of like, and I'm praying and contending for something, I'm pressing in for something, when it actually gets answered, we're like, oh yeah, well, let's move on. And you forget to like, oh no, shoot, this was something I was praying into for months. This is something that I was really, really like wanting to see happen in my life. Let me take some time and rejoice. Let me take some time and celebrate this. It brings glory to God. And it is not an optional kind of, you know, cherry on top. Like, okay, after you've done all the actual stuff, then maybe, maybe it would be nice if you could rejoice. No, it's just as much as a commandment as it is anything else. We are called to rejoice. What a beautiful year it would be this year, 2022, if it could be a year of simply receiving, of rebuilding, and rejoicing. It's easy to remember, right? If you don't have a theme of the year, maybe this could be your theme of the year. Receiving, that means receiving from the Lord and from one another. Rebuilding, it it doesn't mean just sitting back and waiting for things to happen. It's like, okay, now God has equipped me to actually help in the rebuilding. It doesn't need to be in grandiose ways. Sometimes it's something very minor. Sometimes it's something very small. But he's called me to rebuild. He's called me to contribute. I have something to give to this body. This body would be incomplete without me. My whole body, I need my whole body. I can't just be missing my pinky. I would miss my pinky. So I need my pinky. Even if you're a pinky, you know, you're very important in the body of Christ. So there's every, there's something for every person to do. That's what it means to be the part of the body. And then rejoicing. Rejoicing, just changing our perspective, changing our lens and taking the time to rejoice. Even in the midst of hardships, this is probably the hardest thing to do. This is something that I've been learning more and more with each year that I do um, K1 as well. When I think back on like K1 watches where I just had to sit at that keyboard and sing praises to God and give thanks to God, not just, you know, not just lip service, but actually meditate on his goodness in the midst of like the world crumbling around us, in the midst of our church imploding, in the midst of people leaving, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of that, there were so many times where I was like, you know what, maybe it's, I just don't, you know, maybe I'm not, I don't have it in me to sing today. Maybe I don't have it in me to like worship God today and exalt him today. But I think year after year, going through seasons like that, I'm realizing more and more that If you can't learn to rejoice, you're not going to make it through those seasons. It's going to carry you through those seasons. And you're going to come out of those seasons of hardship, not being robbed of the joy that God has given you as your full inheritance. This is our inheritance. This is what what we've signed up for as Christians. We're called, according to Isaiah 61, double portion, actually. 200%. 200%. A one plus one deal for us. As believers, we're, we're, our inheritance is a double portion of this. And we're living with zero percent most times. Man, if we could step into that double portion of rejoicing this year, wouldn't that be amazing? It doesn't mean it's going to be hippy-dippy all the time and you're going to be like, Woo, I'm feeling great every day. No, it means that 
You're also often going to have to learn to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Man, this is hard. Man, God, I don't know if I can make it, but thank you for walking with me. Thank you for showing me what you're doing. Thank you for this person who is praying for me. Thank you that I don't have to do this alone. That's, that's learning to rejoice through hardship. Wouldn't it be an amazing year if that's what we could do this year, 2022? You know, at the beginning of every year, and I'm going to close with this. Uh, maybe Brian can come up and get ready to lead us in worship. At the beginning of each year, you know, we like to set a word for the year. We like to say, this is going to be the year of blank, right? And uh, Jesus actually never did that. But there's one time in the Bible when he did say something along those lines. And that is in Luke 4. And so I have slides for that. Luke 4. This is after 40 days of, you know, being tested in the desert. As he's launching into his public ministry, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And then he went to Nazareth where he was brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Hold on one second. There you go. As was his custom. And he stood up to read... The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture, the year of the Lord's favor, it's being fulfilled in your hearing. Because on this side of Jesus' first coming, we live in the year of the Lord's favor. It's more than just one calendar year. We live in the year of, in other translations, it said the year of Jubilee. Jesus Christ, his name Christos, in Greek it means anointed one. You know that, right? It means anointed one. He is the one with anointing of the sovereign Lord upon him to preach good news to the poor. The one who can proclaim the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. He's the one who has taken our shame, taken our ashes, exchanged them for beauty. He has freed us from our slavery to sin. He has rerouted our trajectory from one that is towards death now into eternal life. We live in the year of Jubilee. We, year, we live in the year of the Lord's favor. You know, the year of the Lord's favor, this is actually from Leviticus. And it's an actual calendar year that they used to celebrate every 50 years. Every 50 years. That means that every person would experience at least one or two years of Jubilee in their lifetime. And it was literally the year that was set apart for the forgiveness of your debts, like financial debts. 
So every 50 years, the people of Israel got a taste of what it felt like to be forgiven of your debts. If you were an indentured servant by then, you were paying off some debt through your labor. That was the year where you were literally released from your servitude and you became a free person once again. If you had debts that you owed to someone and you owed it rightfully, it was a year of forgiveness of those debts. It was wiped clean. If I owed $5,000 to somebody, that was a year where once we enter into that year, I owe zero in that year. It is the year where we experience the forgiveness and the wiping away of our debts. And isn't it so beautiful that when Jesus walks into the scene, he says, you've experienced maybe financial forgiveness. Maybe you've experienced forgiveness from servitude. But let me show you what real Jubilee looks like. I'm going to free you from things you didn't even know you were captive to. I'm going to break you free from your sin. I'm going to break you free from your death. And now from here on out, as you walk with me, as you call upon my name, as you put your trust in me, you're going to see how it looks like to walk as a forgiven person, as a person who's been called to rebuild ruins, things that were devastated for generations. I'm going to use you to do what you cannot do in your own strength. I'm going to be there with you and I'm going to bring rejoicing into your life. That's what it looks like to live in the year of the Lord's favor. Sometimes we think this way. You know, sometimes we think, well, if I'm living in the Lord's favor, shouldn't there be no mourning? (laughs) Shouldn't there be no pain? Shouldn't there be no hardship, no testing, no brokenness, no oppression? But let me encourage you with this. The favor of the Lord often looks like comfort in the midst of mourning like there is mourning but there's going to be comfort there is suffering but there's going to be rejoicing in the midst of it there's weakness but God's going to give you strength and courage in the midst of that that's what it looks like to live in the year of the Lord's favor so maybe the year 2022 is not quote unquote the year of the Lord's favor but we can all agree to live in that kind of life not just for 2022, but to live a life where we're stepping into that grace that God has given us. We receive, we partner with Him to rebuild, and we are able to rejoice and rejoice fully because God has been good. God has been faithful. And that's the reason why we rejoice.